Love this podcast? Support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the link in the episode description to support us now. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Yo, Nicole. Yo, Rolando. How many kids do you think is too many? Uh, For me or for a person in general? Let's start off with you. Mm. Uh, Probably more than... I could handle maybe three. Oh, three? Yeah, well, now that I'm a aunt to two lovely little babies, if there was one more added, I'd probably be okay, but anymore, I would not be. I think my limit is two. Personally, I want one. Like, mm, But, hope- I mean, you're a sibling. Don't you like having a sibling? I don't think me and my siblings are the poster childs of siblings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like This is true, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy having a sibling. So my I'm sibling made me cry at my wedding, so like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And not in yeah, like maybe I have asked Yeah, that. not even like in a nice way of just like, oh this is so sweet. It was more like, oh my god, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> well, okay. Maybe yeah. I think I think uh Three is definitely my limit, but I don't know. I, my father was a, a one of 11. Yeah, Eddie is Jesus. He was almost that dozen. <laughs> he was almost that dozen. I actually, fun fact, didn't know that. I only thought he had nine siblings. There were two that were kept secret from the family. Oh, interesting. So uh, there's a rumor that my grandma told me that I may have half sibling. I have siblings somewhere. Wow, uh, look at that. Who See? knows? But uh, that was look just Look at all a this rumor. cheese that's coming I, out in this I episode. Know. How unexpected. The family tea. But no, um, but no, I think, I don't know if I could afford more than one child. Oh, well, afford a child. I can't afford, I could barely afford my cat. <laughs> that's true. I could barely afford my puppy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, you add a, so. another living person there. But I don't know. But all right, now other people, right? Like the average family, how many kids do you think they should have? In this economy, probably just two. I, I mean, it depends on their income, of course. Right. So. I mean, we're talking like the median household income of like, I don't even know, $80,000, I guess. Yes. But my, my grandmother, you know, she was raised on a farm in Cuba and uh, her, she was like one of eight or nine siblings. Well, yeah, but you needed the manpower in farms. Well, she had to stop going to school to take care of the rest of her family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it so. used to be back then. Uh, yeah yeah you know it was way more in vogue to just have a shitload of kids back then it was a christian way it was yeah just keep like what else was a woman to do but just keep producing Mm. babies that was her duty that was yeah so um i guess we just really got into it but (laughs) we did (laughs) and that's the episode (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah this week we're we're talking about something that i didn't think we'd cover and yet here we are we're discussing three film adaptations of Cheaper by the Dozen. The only thing that these movies have in common is that the parents title. have 12 kids. Yeah, oh, and the title. And the title, <laughs> like, and the title yeah. Uh, the 1950 film, the 2002 film, and the new Disney Plus 2022 film. Yeah. So let's do it. Uh, I'm Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast. About unoriginality. I feel like we don't even need to like talk 
right now because we just did so much of it. Right. No, it's true. It is true. But I will talk. I want to remind all our listeners to please go and uh, rate us on whatever app you're listening to. It will help other listeners find us. And you know what? I think Nicole and I have found our groove. And you know what? It is high time you let other people know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sounding a little condescending and mean right now. But that's because I've had enough. I want to see more reviews, guys. So let's step our pussies up. Yeah, I think seriously. That was a, I think that was a good pitch, right? I think that was really motivating. If I was a listener, I so wouldn't turn off this episode. <laughs> well, I don't know. They heard us just talk about like children in the cold open. So this is true. Yeah, we were, might... we, were, we were spewing our opinions all over there. So we might have lost them already. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning our metrics when they come in, you know? Yeah. Um. So in- fun fact, uh, I've never seen any version of Cheaper by the Dozen until like a couple days ago. Really? Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I saw the Be- Hillary Duff one. Yeah, that's funny. I'm so I'm so glad you called it that because when we when it came out, you know, we were in high school, so the only person in the movie that we cared about was like Hillary Duff. If it wasn't or... Hillary Duff, it was the guy from Smallville. Yeah, um, exactly. Tom Welling. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just... but like it was just one that always escaped me. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I saw it because my friend. Amanda, she was in my bridal party, was a huge fan of it. She a huge fan of the original. She loved this film and yours, mine and ours, right? Like those are both remakes that came out around the same era. And they were both yes. like I think films that came out originally in the same time period, more or less. Like maybe give or plus ten years, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. And actually yours well no, the original yours, mine and ours came out a full eighteen years after the original Trooper by the Dozen. Oh really? But, oh it was like that okay. I thought it was like within the same timeline. No, but the Brady Bunch came out kind of somewhat after yours, mine and ours. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, American media just has a thing for like big slash blended families. I don't know why. In our economies right? I just Wendy in has our, economy, in our culture. Like in when, our culture, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was saying economies because, like, when I don't know if the economy was ever good enough to support more than five children. Like, I just seriously, yeah. Well, that's also a really interesting point that we're gonna have to bring up when we get into these three movies. But so, you know, funny me, I love old movies, but I hadn't even seen the original 1951. Mm -hmm. It was just like, I don't know. I'm actually, other than the Brady Bunch, and we did a whole episode about the Brady Bunch, I'm not into big family movies, so I haven't seen. I hadn't seen these. I haven't seen any version of yours, mine and ours or any films like that. Right. So, um, but when I saw it and it was an excuse to see the original film, you know, I was like, Oh, I jumped on that. Um, and the jumped. original cheaper by the, t- I did. Yeah. I was just okay. like, we're doing this. And he movie. I, I, I wasn't that yeah. enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm about to see. <laughs> uh, but you know, this, this film came out in 1950 and I've, I've talked about the year 1950 before on the podcast. I just want to state one more time that two of the greatest American films ever came out in 1950, All About Eve and Sunset Boulevard. Mm. So this was a fantastic year for movies. And you uh, say that about every year, though. No, I think I've said that some years were like just That's okay. true. You have said some years are just okay. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Um, but yeah, this was one of the movies that came out in 1950 cheaper by the dozen did you know it was based not only on a book but an uh, an autobiography yes auto auto by bi- bi- autobiography i said it right okay good i don't know why i thought i, I said it wrong uh, um well it's so autobiographical actually, it's autobiographical there well so 
Frank Bunker Gilbreth Jr. and Ernestine Gilbreth Carey in 1948 decided to make a novelization based on their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much recounting what it was like growing up in a household of 12 children. Mm-hmm. Um, and their story is actually kind of just one of, you know, pretty middle class, maybe upper middle class white privilege in this country. So, you know, it's like a very it's not like a tale of struggle. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, you know, about how they had to like, uh, they were forced out of their homes or anything like that. It's actually just a bunch of fun s- stories of them being raised by their super smart and put together parents. <laughs> That's all I could really say. Uh, yeah, I would. The, they were both efficiency experts, which is a fucking thing. Um, Frank Bunker Gilbreth and Lillian Moeller Gilbreth. And yeah, who also Lillian Moeller Gilbreth, like, I actually, after the movie, you know, because we're going to talk about how it ends. But after that ending, I was like, wait a minute, who is she? She was a psycho. She was a psychologist. She was an industrial engineer. Mm-hmm. She was an early pioneer in applying psychology to time and motion studies. Yeah. And um, just she's just like a crazy badass lady. Groundbreaking stuff. Um, I had yeah. no idea what they kept like referring to what they do. But I'm just like, what the fuck does that? What is that? Oh, yeah. Right. Seriously. What like. like I understand the need for efficiency because Americans have this constant need of just like not slowing down ever. But mm-hmm. what, how do you apply psychology to that? Yeah. No, usually when you s- apply words like time and space or, uh, or you put them together and in this case, time and motion, that's when I start tuning out because I'm like, I'm not going to understand this. Yeah. So I just don't listen. <laughs> Which is probably really counterproductive of me. but I mean, I should listen because, like, Lord knows I'm always late to things. But I feel like I have a valid excuse as to why I'm usually late to things. Eddie, who is I was going to say, don't you usually blame Eddie? I usually do. <laughs> that's I'm why this. That's why right you were now. early today in sending your Zoom invite, That's actually. exactly 100% right since he's not here. I was just like, I am uh, early. Um. Yeah, I wasn't even prepared. Um, so what is cheaper by the dozen essentially about, like I said, it's a semi autobiographical novel written by two of the oldest children and they kind of just retell in like vignettes, you know, stories that they had that, that were really funny about growing up in a household of 12. Um, so these two That's parents, subjective, funny, <laughs> yes, that was their, uh, <laughs> that was their intent on writing it. I mean, I guess uh, like I I it's so hard. Like I, you know me. I saw these. I didn't see these in reverse order, but I rewatched. Uh, I guess I watched for the podcast. I watched them in reverse order, so I knew middle and then the original as I usually do. Mm. And uh, I don't know. At a certain point, I'm just like, what? What is funny about this life? This sounds like a miserable existence, in my opinion. In all, in all three versions. In all versions. Spoiler <laughs> like, yeah. alert for this episode. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, funny is definitely a subjective word, but I think, I think it, there is something that's like alluring about what must it be like to live in a house of 12. And it's interesting because all, all of these films paint very different images, mm-hmm. uh, and very different pictures of what it must be like to live in that house, but they all take place in different times, right? Even though Cheaper by the Dozen came out in 1950, it depicts, you know, when, like Frank and Ernestine were younger, which was in the twenties. Right. So this is nineteen twenties America, which was very different. And I don't know about that economy, but I'm sure it was way easier. But the Roaring Twenties. A couple of scenes. It was yeah, it was the Roaring Twenties, and there were efficiency experts. So I'm sure they made good money. 
um, he was being invited to like speak, you know, overseas. So he to was in two Japan. places in London and uh, Frankfurt, Prague, Prague. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's pretty much what this movie is. Actually, it's a pretty fa- I was reading a little bit about what the book, like some of the stories that they would say. And it was like, oh, those all in the movie. Uh, so the, the book was a hit when it came out in 1948 and immediately got optioned by 20th Century Fox and turned into a movie. Yeah. It came out. In 1950, uh, directed by Walter Lang, <clears throat> um, who I don't actually like have much to say as a filmmaker. Uh, he's not like someone who I'm like, oh, you should watch more movies by him. Right. I think probably the other most famous movie that he did was State Fair in 1945, which is a Rodgers and Hammerstein original movie musical. Oh, I've never heard of it. Okay. And uh, and um, actually, The King and I, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein film adaptation. So. The yeah. one with uh, Rita Moreno? Yes, the mm-hmm. one with Rita Moreno. Yeah, okay. also Yul Brenner and Deborah Kerr is the leading roles, but yes, with Rita Moreno. <laughs> <laughs> um, this film stars Clifton Webb as Frank Bunker Gilbreth Sr. and Myrna Loy as Miss Lillian Gilbreth, the mother, who at that time, you know, she was a huge matinee idol in the 30s. Stars one of my absolute favorite films, The Thin Man. Mm-hmm. And was not that old by 1950 standards. Now, of course, she wasn't dominating the box offices and, and seen the same way. But people, a lot of the, her fellow actresses were like, don't take this role. Don't be a mom because then You'll there's no cast. hope for the rest of us. Not only that, but there's no hope for the rest of us. Right. Well, you like know, you yeah, have yeah. to. Yeah. Do what the guys are doing and still take the younger roles. And she was like, I kind of want to play this role. And I kind of think I could do it. OK. And. And you know, okay, she, said she took she a lot did. of heat for it and she <laughs> she took it. And I think she actually I think she did a really great job. I think Myrna Loy, first of all, what a name. Yeah. That Myrna is name. and Myrna Loy. That's a fantastic name. Next cat I get is going to be called Myrna Loy. Ooh. Um, okay. Yeah. So Myrna Loy. Love her in this movie. And Clifton Webb, who his most other famous role up until that point was that he was um, Mr. Belvedere. Oh, which is I've never name. seen Mr. Belvedere, but I know yeah. Mr. Belvedere, Belvedere. Yeah, Belvedere. You got it right. Yeah, it's a V. Yeah, I'm oh. talking about um, the like the 1940s Mr. Belvedere. I think they brought it like a TV version of Mr. Belvedere back. I think that's the version that I've heard of. I didn't yeah. know it was something prior. Yeah, there were there were there were three films that Clifton Webb was in, and that's what kind of got him to be famous in wow. this time frame. Um, uh, it's sitting pretty. Mr. Belvedere goes to college, and Mr. Belvedere rings the bell. <laughs> that's a, a mouthful. What a title, right? Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. So I think Mr. Belvedere and this role is kind of what Clifton Webb will be remembered for. Uh, the other big role, uh, the other big actor in Cheaper by the Dozen is Jeannie Crane, who plays the eldest daughter. And at that point, I think she was 28 and she didn't really want to play a teenager, but uh, she just took one last film role. And, you know, this was a big hit when it came out. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it's been remade two times. Everyone knows at least the title, Cheaper by the Dozen. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of like in the same vein as other kind of feel good family movies of this time. Like I'm thinking Meet Me in St. Louis from 1944. Um, to an extent, even the original 40s version of Little Women, not the Catherine Hepburn one, the uh, the color one with Elizabeth Taylor. Okay, I remember that one, yeah. Um, this is, you know, post, <clears throat> sorry, post-war uh, America. It's still kind of like recovering, and they're kind of putting these ideals of family 
back into like to the limelight and trying to shine more of a light on that and Mm -hmm. and really like instill family values and at the beginning of the 1950s which is just known for being a very conformist consumerist and nuclear family kind of error that's Um, true so yeah so it's almost yeah it's perfect that it came out in 1950 i'm so sorry yeah no no no, i was gonna say funny you should mention meet me in st louis because the exterior to the house in montclair that they use is from meet me in st louis that is right. Look yeah. at you. I know facts yeah. every now and then. Yeah, which is interesting because um, they were filmed by two. They were done by two different studios. So mm-hmm. I guess you know they were like, we don't have a proper house on our lot. MGM, you gotta lend us that house. And so, they rented it I'm out. Just, yeah, and, and they rented it out. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's ex- wow. Look at that. So all right. So what did you think of this film? Um, I don't. I felt like nothing happened. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, there was no plot. It was just like, like you mentioned, it was like a series of vignettes where you got to see this, uh, you know, the the daughter, the eldest daughter is a narrator. So we just get to see kind of what it's like life from her point of view. And I guess yeah. we kind of see her not rebelling as much as just like growing up into becoming a woman, right? You know, wanting mm-hmm. to wear makeup, wanting to go to prom, wanted to date and her father's struggle with her growing up. I don't know. I mean, it was... It was cute. I wasn't. I didn't hate the movie. I just think it was. Just, I was just wondering. It's just like, does is there no? There's nothing happening. I don't like what. I don't know. It just. It just felt. It was yeah. Just a story. I guess that I was watching. It was, otherwise, it was like. Eh. You know what? I actually completely agree with you. There is no real plot to this movie. This is what I would qualify as a hangout movie, uh, where it's just kind of like a bunch of things happen, and there's no really over arcing plot to guide us through this film mm-hmm. and we get to know a bunch of different characters and we go from scene to scene just kind of like hanging out with them and that's it right and the reason why this movie is kind of beloved um is because i th- some people i think must really enjoy hanging out with these characters um this is my first time seeing it i had no expectations going into this movie i didn't know one that it was a true story i didn't know that it was going to be set in the 20s I, I like i literally knew nothing right Alicia Malone kind of gave me a couple of minutes of of um, putting into context when I saw it on Turner Classic Movies, but that was it. And I must say, spoiler alert for this episode, but this was my favorite of the three. Surprise, mm. surprise. Okay. I think that this film... Spoiler indeed. I actually... Dis- I won't disagree with you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Uh, I think this film actually did the best job at, at kind of showing what you how you have to run a house of 12. Um, and it didn't give themselves anything that was unrealistic, probably because it's based on a true story. But like a lot of the kids are super, super young. And then a lot of them are much like their ages range. So are, are so vast in between the yeah. eldest is 20. The youngest is two and yeah. not even like there's still one unborn uh, halfway through the film. Mm-hmm. And they have to run it kind of like a democracy. You know, when they have family meetings, it's like a court. And, like, you have to be recognized by the chairman and, like, by the judge and stuff. And yeah. everything needs to be put into the vote. Which I thought was and adorable. I actually, I was like, this seems like a bit much. But that's also, like, how people get their voices heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how you maintain <laughs> order and all this stuff. But then I also liked that there were, like, even though it was, like, this well-maintained house that gave me, of course, because I saw Sound of Music first, Sound of Music vibes, where everyone was, like, you know, like, oh, we're calling you and you have to stand in position and all that stuff. They're also, like, terrible musicians. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he just doesn't want to hear that his kids can't play music. Right. Um, you know, they're, like, not that great at everything. And they're also really, really goofy. They're not the coolest. They're awkward and, and don't know anything about, like, they're uh, the definition. They're quintessential normal children. 
Yes. Like, you know, like usually films have this in film. We either see they're either great or terrible. There's no in the middle, right? Where most of us live. I think when we when we recorded with Mackenzie, right? She mentioned like the extremes of euphoria and glee and like how most of us really fall in the middle where we're just existing in these worlds of extremes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I would also say that um, I think that I'll, we were able to really get a sense of s- some of the children better in this film. Mm-hmm. There's, tw- well, uh, really 11, because again, the the 12th is a newborn. Um, but there's a bunch that are just kind of like props because they're so young and they can't have these personalities that shine through quite yet for the movie's sake. So really, there's only like seven we get to know. Yeah. And yet we are like, the top is the oldest so- like sister obviously but you even get a really good sense of who the second youngest is of the the oldest boy Mm -hmm. and a couple of the other boys um and they all have like their little scenes and these little things that they get to work out with their parents like two of the boys really want a dog and they're pushing for the dog Mm -hmm. like oh if if we get a cheaper rug we could get a dog what a world Um, five dollar (laughs) dog right (laughs) the 20s we're in the 20s too and it's like yeah (laughs) 500 for like <laughs> seriously a sick dog you know <laughs> yeah you want to pay five dollars and you know like you're gonna pretty much steal them off the street or something yeah the only child we didn't really see much of was mary and that is because in real life mary was not alive so that's right yes. the producers i guess decided we'll keep her alive in spirit kind of so like yes you are to be seen but not heard kind of exactly thing. which is kind yeah. of oddly creepy knowing that fact you know what i mean I don't mm-hmm. know because it's, it's weird. I wonder how the family felt watching it and being yeah. like, the ghost of Mary is with them, and but she doesn't speak. <laughs> she's just there in the background. It's like that's what it's like. She's always with us. Um, at, there's Martha who uh, the tonsillitis bit was uh, so random, and sp- I think uh, there was way too much time on that thing. But in the end, it ended up being rewarding because Martha was like rubbing in all of her siblings faces, how she could eat this big yummy breakfast. Cause she didn't have to get her tonsils removed. And then they operate her because the doctor, and then they operate on her. <laughs> the doctor was just like, I don't want to have to put up with this again. So like, yeah, I, I don't care. If she ate. Well, no, because, because they were also like, you have so many kids. I can't tell them apart. <laughs> I mean, that's also true. That was also hilarious. Yeah, uh, for so. some reason, the father was trying to film it so he could like, berate the doctors like oh, these are all your inefficiencies which exactly, i guess yeah. was kind of where we got like a real firm sense of what it means to be an efficiency expert yeah you really yeah. have to think of things at every angle and utilize your time well and all mm-hmm. this stuff now the father right and and how far he takes this efficiency because myrna loy's portrayal of the mother she's the reason and she's the understanding but he's mm-hmm. the strict efficient patriarch of the family what did you think about uh, clifton webb's performance as the father Oh, it was endearing, I guess is the word I would use. Mm. Um, yeah. Even like even when he was, for example, like really hard on his daughter, he wanted to be a Jezebel, basically, is what he said to her, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he It never came off, despite the fact that he easily should have come off as really like, I don't know, patronizing, uh, machismo, you know, kind of archaic. But... Mm-hmm. He was, I guess he played it with such, there was like a sweetness in the way he played it where like he ended up giving in and like it didn't, I don't know, it it never felt, I don't know, I just didn't, I never ended up hating him despite the fact that like I felt like when he was talking to her about like the way girls dress, it kind of did seem a little vile 
and a very very much you know a symptom of its times you know but mm, yeah it, it never you know and then like he followed her he went with her on the date to the prom and stuff but then he ends up like dancing with the girls i don't know it was cute i thought he was endearing i, I liked it i think he, I, yeah i actually i see what you're saying and and i thought his performance was like you know father who wasn't ready to accept that his little girl is all grown up you mm-hmm. know and like he's like half serious about like all the things he's saying, but you know, deep down inside that he doesn't really take any pleasure at like, you know, having these discussions with her or whatever. Yeah. And that's why he so easily gives in. There's actually this great, this cute little scene in the beginning because they moved from Rhode Island to Montclair, New Jersey. Montclair, right in the New beginning Jersey. Of the film. And, um, they have to like pull over and he has to lift the hood up and do something in the car. And one of the kids decides to pull a prank on him and it beeps the horn really loud. And the father hits his head on the hood mm-hmm. and he's like, who, who did that? What's the meaning of this? Come out here. And he was like, going to spank him. Murder Lloyd just starts like laughing it off. And then he's like, Oh yeah. You know what? Like that was this actually a pretty silly. good joke. I, I, I commend you son for the good joke. <laughs> something like that. Right. Um, and that right there is like a good balance of who that father ended up being. And all of these mm-hmm. scenes in these vignettes in this movie pretty much like, you know, show us all of these different moments where that gets brought out, especially with his eldest daughter and his conflicts there, or just with the tonsillitis or going to the school's principal and like mm-hmm. demanding that his kids be put in the proper grades because of their intellect, all this stuff. Yeah. You know, so where, where this was film was going, Karen, you um, know. tone wise. Oh, what? Oh, I said he was like a borderline Karen. Can you hear me? What's the matter, Dex? I can't hear you. One more time. Borderline Karen? I heard that. Borderline Karen. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to do a clap, clap, clap here. Yeah. Who's a borderline Karen? The father. Oh, Karen can apply to a man, I guess. I, I think they're called Chad's. Chad's okay, yeah. I don't but know. I, I could be mistaken on that. I could have saw like a male carrying, whatever. Yeah, gender, you know. There should be a male equivalent. It's. it's I'm sure there is. Just I just one. don't know it. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well. So. But with the way that this movie was going and the tone and everything, did you expect that ending? To happen? No. Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially seeing these in the reverse order, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about a twist. Uh, Okay, so spoiler guys, if you haven't seen this movie from the 1950s or 1950 actually, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the dad dies. He has a heart attack while he's on his way to go to, I think, London or Prague, right? Yeah. He's on mm-hmm. his way to do one of those trips. He has a heart attack. They'd been hinting at his heart condition throughout the entire film. I just didn't know there was going to be a payoff might be the wrong word, but there was a payoff. He dies at the end. And... Uh, the family, and this all happens in like three minutes. They had to kind of figure out, like, as a family, what do we do next? Do we move mm-hmm. in with Grandmama? I think in California they mentioned, or do we, you know, make some adjustments, fire the nanny or the housemaid or whatever, and uh, just stay here? And the family, as a unit, decides we're gonna try our best to like live, stay here in Montclair and make it work. And uh, it kind of ends like that. Kind of felt abrupt. I was doing my research to see, it's like, did the guy, did the actor die, like, while they were filming and they didn't have an ending? <laughs> this is what happened? But I think No, this just, is what happened in real life. That's what I was going to say. He's like, yeah, that's what happened in real life. So, yeah. 
Well, that well when it ended for me, and they went on to say all those things about Lillian Muller, I immediately looked her up because I'm like, they're talking about her like as if the 1915 audience knows who she is. Yes, and she was alive during when this film came out. She died in 1972, so oh, she wow. was. A, a a name that people must have been familiar with mm. so that ending actually was more so like oh this is like like something that feels lost in time at least i don't know maybe a lot of people know about her and i'm the ignorant one but I mean, she mentioned that she would become a woman of the year or something right yes in the yes and like the ending monologue from the narration yes and like she went on to do this this and that Mm -hmm. and like carry on his legacy and all this crazy shit you know so it was kind of like telling like a a 1950 audience and that's how she became the woman that you all know today kind of like tone um but it was interesting because when i was when i watched and and it's myrna lauren they have the whole score and she walks up the stairs and she looks at the picture that he took and Uh you see the family there i was like this is actually working for me emotionally yeah like i didn't cry but i was like i'm i feel what they want me to feel yeah yeah yeah. you feel you know you feel the law although i feel like the family did handle it a little bit less emotionally than i would have well, they were efficient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just I guess that's what it's bury those feelings. We had to move on. This is what dad yeah. would want. We let's just skip all over that. It's not efficient enough. Um <laughs> let's get right to it. And but that's the thing too. This movie is tight. It's like an hour and a half. It's in and it's out. Which I appreciate. And yeah, actually yep. I was just like, oh, they're waste <laughs> It's like I hate to keep making the same joke here, but they're wasting no time. They're making yeah. a really efficient movie. Which is good because um, your boy here has no time anymore between watching we had to watch three movies, guys. I'm just like, okay, this was the shortest. It has my vote. That's my favorite. Yeah, actually, so this was the film that I saw second. This was not the first film I watched. Oh, which one did you see first? <clears throat> uh the two thousand two version. Oh, you saw the Hillary Duff? I keep saying Hillary. It's, it's Steve Martin's movie and it's, Helen yeah, Hunt. But I just remember... Gr- Bonnie, Bonnie Hunt. Shit. I was, I was literally just telling Eddie this this morning. It's just like... Because I asked, are Helen Hunt and Bonnie Hunt related? They are not. I looked it They're up. They're not, no. They yeah. are not. But they do... I don't know. I confused them a lot growing up. Uh, yeah, Bonnie I could Hunt. see that. I could see that. Good. I'm glad that you're not <laughs> accusing me of face blindness here. Oh, uh, no. Uh, yeah, this was actually Cheaper by the Dozen came out in 2003. I keep saying 2002. I don't know why, but it, I guess it doesn't it's matter. probably when the marketing blitz happened. All the, oh, wait, you weren't a Disney Channel girl. No, that's also why I probably yeah. didn't see this film. I don't think it was. No, because this was a Fox movie. But I feel like, oh, Hilary Duff, I think, got a lot of push because, you know, she was like a growing, you know, star for the Disney Channel. Yeah. So. yeah. After I saw the uh, Cheaper by the Dozen 2003 version which i saw for, can't, i can't believe that i decided to watch that first yeah i'm but. curious what made you do that um i was in bed and i wasn't tired <laughs> <laughs> and i was just like why not it's on disney plus it's short it's this isn't a movie i should see oh. in like my big tv and my surround sound Wait, was so. it short isn't it just as long i don't know i felt, um, it felt long it's 99 minutes oh wow is still it is kind of short it felt yeah. longer the the original cheaper by the dozen I think is by far the shortest, but this is like the middle. Yeah, this no, is, no, no. it's middle all across the board. <laughs> it did feel longer. I agree. It felt longer. So two thousand three. Do you remember who you were in two thousand three? I don't even remember how old I was in two thousand three. Do the math, I guess. Minus 
11 years? I was 15, so you must have been... 16, I, I turned 15. I 14 I going on 15. 16, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I was still in high school, right? Junior, so lots of pot smoking. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I was hanging out with my... This was actually the year I met my friend Amanda, and Cheaper by the Dozen was one of her favorite movies, so I think we went to see it in the theater... And uh, I remember saying, it's just like, what a piece of garbage. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what I came out saying. It's just like, oh, my God, oh, what a piece of garbage. But I stayed throughout the whole movie. All right? I didn't walk out. <laughs> I think I might have been high when I saw this movie. Wow, really? Yeah. So I was 14 going on 15, but I was already, like, in love with old movies. Um, So I wasn't watching Disney Channel, like I've said on this podcast before. But I was actively going to the movie theater Mm -hmm. like every week you know and i remember seeing the movies like kill bill and i remember seeing kill bill how to lose a guy in 10 days i remember seeing uh holes because i read that book in high school and i really wanted to see oh i wanted to see holes too but i didn't see it yeah Holes was i remember being pretty good yeah i think that's what critics said also Yes. Yeah, and I wanted to see what mm-hmm. the hype was about. Plus, I was a fan of Shia yeah. LaBeouf because of Even Stevens. There you go. Uh, and I remember seeing Le- The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the Rings, and just like thinking it was over for about an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> just <laughs> wanting to leave my seat. I didn't see this movie, though. Uh, oddly enough, I saw the Pink Panther remake when it came out with oh. Steve Martin. He was in a lot of like these family movies in the early 2000s. Yeah. This uh, is... But this one I didn't see. Yeah, that's right. Because. Th- I'd known him. F- oh, wait. I was about to say the Naked Gun series, but that's not him. No, wait. No, that wasn't him. That's Leslie Nielsen. Yes, that is Leslie Nielsen. Uh, Steve Martin is like the jerk. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, and, we've seen Steve okay. Martin's work here. Yeah. Like twice already. I actually, I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. Um, I too In liked. terms of, yeah, I, his comedy really works for me. Um, I mean, the like, jerk especially, is hilarious. The jerk is hilarious, but like, even when he's just like delivering jokes at a talk show or something he used to have this persona where he was just like a stuck-up asshole not so much anymore um but he's just he's i kind of like admire his delivery and and i'm also too did you comedy is that i'm a stuck-up asshole did you like him in only murders in the building yes oh i mean the moment it began Mm -hmm. The guy stopped him on the street and was like, oh, my dad loved you character. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah he yeah. died. Yeah. They just keeps going on and on about right, how his right. dad died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Steve Martin's just uncomfortably sitting there. I'm like, <laughs> I love this guy. Like, this is my humor. I was um, I was so glad that he got like a nice like new wind to his career here with uh, the show because the show the show was so fabulous. And yeah, it was good. I was remembering yeah. it's just like God, because he hit such a like down when he did like the Pink Panther series. I know it got a sequel, and I know technically yeah. Cheaper by the Dozen got a sequel too. But it's like you were the jerk, man. <laughs> you know. You know, it's interesting because when you really look at Steve Martin's film career, he actually had, I feel like, way more downs than he had ups. Ooh. Um, when you think of like, all right, tell me, what do you think of when you think of a Steve Martin film? Roxanne, because we just. We just, we just covered it. <laughs> but I think his legacy isn't necessarily his films, is my point. Oh, you think it's his stand-up? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's just him in general, like, you know, his persona and stuff. And most of the time, he does kind of just play himself in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, But 
you know, other than the jerk and dirty rotten scoundrels, which I think, and planes, trains, and automobiles. Dirty rotten scoundrels. That's right. That was actually he was good. He was really good in that. I thought. Oh, I, I think that movie is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, other than those movies, he was in a lot of failures. And when I say failures, I mean like box office flops. And more so, like people, movies that people just kind of forgot about, right. and that's how I'm categorizing failure. I'm not saying okay. I think these movies are failures, okay. but I mean, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, um, uh, The Man with Two Brains, Pennies from Heaven, actually, which is a really interesting musical. Um, he made up like so many movies that people just just weren't a fan of. And in the 2000s, he kind of had this comeback when he did Cheaper by the Dozen. Then he did Bring It Down the House. He did the Pink Panther movies, mm-hmm. which, you know, got him a sequel. Uh, he was in Baby Mama, uh, which was actually really... I, I enjoyed his performance in Baby Mama. But maybe Mama's not even that great a movie. Wait, that's the one with Tina Fey and uh, Amy Poehler? Yes. Oh, I don't remember him in that movie. He's her boss. Oh. And he's like like a new age guy and he's uh, like really pretentious. I do love He a, does pretentious really well. Yeah, I do love a good Tina Fey, Steve Martin. They do they've been because they were in an episode of 30 Rock that was great. Uh Only Murders in the Building was another instance where they have a good dynamic. They could play off each other very well and stuff. So I could I don't remember him doing that yeah. movie. Yeah, no, I, he he does play. They they have like same kind of energies, comedic energies, mm. you know. Like it was funny too because Tina Fey played pretentious in Only mm-hmm. Murders in the Building. She was she was kind of doing like her Steve Martin shtick with him, which was great. Um, so I think that that's why I like Steve Martin. So I was going into this movie with like high like, oh, Steve Martin's gonna make me laugh, right? Um, <laughs> expectations and uh, and okay, spoiler alert. <laughs> This is my least favorite of the three films. Okay. I I'm in agreement with you on this one. <laughs> we're right we're so in sync at the moment. We're in sync on this one. Um, this this movie kinda didn't work for me in a lot of ways. I can't I'm I'm gonna kinda have to take it apart because there's not much that works. Okay. Go for it. We let's try to keep this short because Let's try and keep it short. Yeah, because we're kind of going off on random things. But let's focus on the movies. First thing that doesn't work, he's a college football coach. Yes. Okay, in what worlds would Steve Martin be a college football coach? That actually doesn't bother me as much. I think what bothered me is why can't he not afford a nanny? He's now like a D1 <laughs> head coach. It's just like, you can afford a nanny, man. Like, you can't. This is true. Yeah. Well, Steve Martin's whole stick is that he can't even like dance without being awkward and like... He thinks he's cool and stuff, but I don't know. So anyway, for me, I'm like, I don't buy you as a college football okay. coach. Um, he's got his wife, who's not even there for 85% of the fucking movie, right? I heard so that they this don't is get really... along. They didn't get along on set. Bonnie Hunt and Steve Martin? Really? Is that why? I made that up just now, but it sounded plausible, oh. right? <laughs> I was going to be like, they wrote the script Lace... around that? What? Lace st- let's why did they the cast Uber. them? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Did you hear that, too? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like what worked so well about the 1950 one was the two of them, mm-hmm. um, and the balance that they provided. And in this one, he's trying to perform a balancing act without her. And I, and that's like, what's the movie supposed to be going for? Right. Um, but it just doesn't, it's, it's too, trying to do too much. Okay. Next problem I have is that he doesn't really, they don't establish any real relationships that he has with his children in order to have an arc. And my biggest problem is with the Tom Welling one, which is Charlie Baker. Okay. Um, first of all, 
Hilary Duff, that Hilary Duff movie, she's just fucking there. I mean, she it's doesn't true. have any big scenes. She just wears a green she's makeup. She's literally at one point, just there. Helps yeah. her mom pick out an outfit. <clears throat> she yeah, she was. Yeah, but she was shown but, so much in the commercials. So, she's a huge selling point for this movie, and she has like five lines. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they have the eldest child, who's like all on her own and dating Ashton Kutcher, and she's like for most of the movie annoyed with her family just like tom welling who from the moment we see him interact with his father is like annoyed with his father just wants to be left alone so and that that's how he is the whole fucking movie he's an angsty teenager he wasn't wait but you don't that was the only relationship we saw i think on screen with him and any of the kids. yeah yeah so these are the relationships we get to see and most of them are just like you know, privileged assholes who who are just so annoyed with their parents and like don't appreciate them. Well, I feel like, but like, but it's the same beat over and over and yeah. over again. Like every time I see Tom Welling, he's just like a little piece of shit. Yeah, well, in Tom, in the character's defense here, though, like he made a pretty vocal that he didn't want to move from whatever, wherever they were in Idaho or Illinois. I don't know where where, but to it wasn't Chicago that they moved to. It was some other random city in Illinois. But it was like a big city, yeah, or bigger, city, um, or like a suburb or something. I don't know. Uh, they live in Midland, and then they move to Evanston. Right. I don't. They should have just had Chicago, where like I think we could have made the connection. It's just like okay, it's a bigger city, different life. It's an yeah. epic like a town yeah. I've never heard of. Sorry, guys, if you're from Illinois, listening, I'm not trying to shade you. I'm just saying. We're from New Jersey. Yeah, you don't know Illinois. Like you guys had no idea when I said go Montclair. Probably. Exactly. Probably. Unless you watch Trooper of the Dozen. By the Dozen. Um, I guess that's a defense point, but of course any kid, as all of them are like, no, I don't want to move. Like, who wants to move? You know? Yeah. Um, but he, again, even before that, though, it wasn't like, hey, dad, let's go play catch. And then by moving, their relationship became strained. Like, no, from yeah. the moment he tries to wake up his son, his son is just like, leave me alone. Oh yeah. God! Which is stupid from a screenwriting just... point of view because he plays football and the dad teaches, it teaches, coaches college football. So it's just like you would yep. assume right there, you have a source of uh, tension here that you could like mm-hmm. exploit as a screenwriter, but they chose not to. Yep, and I mean there were just so many moments that they were trying to go for outlandish comedy like when he brings the football team to his house because like you said he can't afford a nanny Mm -hmm. and he has to coach his team and raise his kids at the same time and it just none of it really works um i don't know i mean that was your turn what's your nitpickies uh well that he can't afford a nanny was my biggest uh one uh what's another one i guess kind of the slapstick humor that they were kind of going or borderline gross out humor I think, mm, you know, mm-hmm, it was kind of mm-hmm. just like, I don't know. It felt like low-hanging fruit at times. And even because yeah. I remember even thinking it back then when I was a a teenager. I'm just like, wow, this is so corny. Like, it's just not even trying. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, I think the only thing that resonated with me was a poor kid who was called FedEx, the ginger. He was because he was like the outcast in this family of 12, which I get, you know, let's be real. In a family of 12, there's bound to be one child as an outcast, you know, of course, not like yeah. anyone. And I think his was the only art that I liked, despite the fact that I think the movie kind of like really uh, they kind of like resolved it too, too quickly, in my opinion. They did. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, it's just like, oh, he's lost and he's found. But like, there was no drama. I don't know. I guess I just kind of. 
They really focused also a lot of the kids' shenanigans, which I don't necessarily care for. Yeah. We want to see more of the family dynamic, yeah. not just kids being silly. Yeah. Like, oh, all these kids together are about to just create ruckus. And, um, and then the other thing is, I guess, I don't know. Like, I think Bonnie Hunt, right? Yes? Yeah, Bonnie Hunt. Okay. Bonnie Hunt. And Steve Martin, they did have chemistry, but, like, it just wasn't shown enough on screen, in my opinion. Like, I could buy yeah. them as a couple raising 12 kids, but, like, you know, considering the source attention was that she was gone... And, like, he had to figure it out on his own. It's just, like, I don't know. It just felt like, what? I don't... Is this... I don't know. The original no, Cheaper I, by the Dozen would never. Yes. You, you know? Yes. Yeah. But I saw this before I saw the original Cheaper by know, the yeah. Dozen. Which also... Which was just... Because <coughs> maybe part of that sourness went into my watching the 1951, which is why I enjoyed it even more. Because I'm like, oh, could this be. is nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're doing everything much, much better. The, I guess the one thing that did work for me was that 2003 soundtrack with like, I'm just a kid Ugh, and life is... I don't like Simple well, Plan. I hate that kind of music, but it's also like... The right... Oh my gosh. Felt, like, right I one. was 14 years old yeah. when the song came out, yeah. you know, like... And it's amazing how um, 2003, so this is a 19-year-old film, how much more aged this film seems than the 1951. Oh... Interesting. And I think accurate because I <laughs> I agree. Even like, you know, you see the transitions and like some of the shots that we use when we're like entering the city. It all felt like so dated so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, like I'm watching yeah, a movie. completely dated. It felt Whereas so Whereas the old. 1951 felt a little timeless. Yeah, a little bit. I, 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 I mean, I like it's, it's clearly an older film, yeah. but it didn't like it didn't it didn't reek of, yeah, like tropes that or mm-hmm. like in transitions of the era or whatever. Yep, I agree um, with you 100%. Oh, it's so, so, it's so rare when we're like on the same page on this one. But Yeah, I know. This is weird. But uh, Some might accuse <laughs> like, me that I didn't do my Disagree homework. with me. Well, all right. <laughs> I'll disagree with you on this one. Well, I'm okay. disagree with myself. As much as I didn't like the kids' shenanigans, some of the kids that were cast were so adorable, though, that like I thought they were like great. The twins in particular, I think they are so cute. I just want to mm. just like... You just pinched your cheeks. They're so adorable. Um, who else? The girl who reminded me of Punky Brewster. I thought she was annoying. She's from the Missy Elliott video, I think. I could be mistaken about that, but I think she's that dancer girl. Oh. Is it worth it? Let me, you know, the Missy Elliott dancer girl? I don't I don't remember which child you're talking about. The one who looked like Punky Brewster. Yeah. See, this movie, you know, was before my eyeballs for about 99 minutes. <laughs> <clears throat> and then it left my memory completely. Uh, fair enough. For the most part. Uh, other than the things that enraged me. Yeah, that, Well, not enraged. Yeah, that's but, about yeah. it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's a forgettable movie. I had forgotten about it up until the fact that like we had to cover it for this podcast. And I was just like, I yeah, I had to rewatch it because I was just like, I don't really remember this movie except I know that I didn't like it. And then I rewatched it. I was just like, ah, that's just why. It was kind of just forgettable. This is why, yeah. <laughs> it's just a forgettable movie. It wasn't just movie. like you being like a kid who was like, oh, this movie's so stupid. Like, no, like you saw it yeah. <laughs> at a young age. I was like, no, this isn't exactly. a good movie. But this movie, so despite its poor reviews, this movie killed in the box office. And, and got a fucking sequel. And got a sequel. Which I did not see. I know. No. <laughs> like, I remember that much. I know Eugene Levy's in it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I saw the poster. Yeah. It's like Eugene Levy and Steve Martin back to back. I don't know. I guess they're in a war with another family of 12 or something. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. 
We should watch it. No. no <laughs> we should hate it. watch it. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> if I get high and watch it, I'll, it might make it bearable. But Yeah, well, so you said it, though, right there. It killed at the box office. And everyone, again, you know the t- title, Chupa Bread the Dozen. By the way, we didn't mention why it's called Chupa Bread the Dozen. In the 1950 film, they explained where that comes from. The name of the book? Um, the name of the book and that oh, whenever and then, someone would see Frank Gilbert Sr. and be like, you have 12 kids? And be like, don't you know they come cheaper by the dozen? And that yeah. was like his thing. Well, yeah. Because so. the question is like, how do you feed them? It's like, well, things come cheaper by the dozen. Here, I think yeah. they were just the Bonnie Hunt's character wrote a book named Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, by the dozen. Uh, outside of that, what connection do you see between this one and the 1950 film outside of the 12 kids? How is this Not, a remake? Mm, yeah, seriously. Um, it's I don't see any connection other than the fact that a book was written out of the life. But it it like it was it took the fact that Cheaper by the Dozen is a book. Right. And they just utilized that in this new story. Uh, that's like literally the only thing I see. Maybe moving the family, but that they turned that more mm. into a story. Right. Uh, whereas that's just something that happens in the first ten minutes of Cheaper mm-hmm. by the Dozen. Also, in that the fact that like in 1950, the Clifton Webb father is an efficiency expert, and the title is "Don't You Know They Come Cheaper by the Dozen." That now it makes sense why it's called that, right? Right. Why is this film called Cheaper by the Dozen? Yeah. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Why does she name it? Like they don't make that joke at any point, nor are they the type of people that seem like they would make that kind of mm-hmm. joke. Of course, that's me just being very nitpicky. No, I don't. But I don't disagree with you because it's not like is that like a common euphemism? I know Baker's doesn't, right? And that's why they changed the family name to Baker, right? They didn't even keep the family name. Mm. That's sure they didn't even keep the family name. Yeah, they did it. And a Baker's doesn't. Here's the other thing. A Baker's doesn't is 13. So what are you guys trying to pull here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe there is going to be a... That's what Cheaper by the Dozen 2 is. Oh, my God. I hope not. Like Father of the Bride 3. Oh, yeah, that's another Steve Martin movie, and that's probably why they put him in all these roles. He became a family uh, I, I love guy. Uh, Father of the Bride. I You know, it's a film remake, right? <gasps> Is it really? Oh, I didn't know that. I hope they remake yep. it so we could cover it. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that. Um, they did, like, a big um, kind of, like, reunion thing of it. Yeah, I remember. During COVID. During COVID. In, yeah. But that was when we yeah. were not... We were depressed, I think. <laughs> I we, were just, <laughs> we didn't know the state of anything. So, um, Yeah, so that's that movie. Don't really have much else to say other than the fact that it did well enough that they were like, let's let's do it all over again. Yeah, well, for, it, it had like a film. small budget and brought in like $140 million in the box office. So that's pretty good numbers. That's true. Yeah. I wonder what this new film's budget was. Too much. I'm sure it was. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know, Cheaper by the Dozen, new film version of it is available on Disney+. Plus. It will not be going to theaters. It's a Disney Plus exclusive. Right. This version <clears throat> of Cheaper by the Dozen is kind of more in line with the 2002 one. Yeah, this not the 1950 like or the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this has a script co-written by Kenya Barris and Jennifer Rice Genzuk Henry. Who um, are writers of Blackish and Grownish, and probably yes, the spinoff exactly. also Halfish. There were three. There's three in that in that series. Is Blackish, Grownish, Grownish, and then I think it's like Mixish. 
something. It's mixed-ish. It is mixed-ish? Yes. That's a terrible title. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a prequel. I don't know. I'm giving you guys a history that you guys probably didn't even ask for, but it's a hit prequel to Grownish. It follows the mom's character's life. Well, yes. Yeah, so do you know anything about like the production history on this? I know that it was in 2016 that they announced, 20th Century Fox announced that they were working with uh, this writer from the Blackish series to write a Cheaper by the Dozen remake. Um, during... I think it was like what I forgot when the trans when the merger between 20th Century Fox and Disney took 2019. Place. Okay, so I think it was in 2019 when they announced who uh, that they're moving forward with this project Disney at uh, Disney, uh, and they they brought in uh, uh, Gabrielle Union. She replaced who was the original cast, which I think was uh, Regina Hall, who we might know her from like the Scary Movie series, mm-hmm. and yeah. the Oscar host on Sunday. Oh, she's going to be an Oscar host? That's weird. She's one of the three. Yeah. What? That's so... Okay. I love her. So Wait, You don't know about that? I didn't... I actually don't know anything about the Oscars. You keep telling me the nominees and I keep forgetting. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's three hosts. Regina Hall, Wanda Syke, Amy Schumer. I like Wanda Syke also. Amy Schumer, I don't... I don't really know her humor that much. I don't watch her stuff, so I can't speak to it. But I do like Wanda Syke's delivery. She has a good delivery for comedy. I know a lot of, I feel like a lot of straight white men do not like her, but I, you know what? I guess her comedy is not for you. Deal with it. Uh, so yeah. So, all right, fine. I might give it, there's having three hosts. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I lost my train of thought. What were they? Oh, yeah, Regina Hall, Regina was, Hall was replaced. Yeah. Regina Hall was replaced by Gabrielle Union. Um, you know what, Regina, you probably dodged the bullet to me. Uh, and uh, I think they started just trickling down the uh, I think Disney also in 2019 announced that this was going to be a Disney Plus exclusive for whenever Disney Plus launched which I think was like a year later and uh, they were going to start production in 2020 obviously it got postponed because of COVID and I don't think they picked up again until like late 2020 and now here we are 2022 the movie has debuted and uh Disney actually had been doing a lot of social media push on this, I know, because I'd been getting a lot of marketing material from them on our social media accounts. And I don't, you know, this is not, this is a big push for a movie that I don't think is like, I don't know, who asked for this? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's so funny because we were talking about the 2002 one feeling dated and yeah. the moment this movie started i was like oh man this movie is gonna feel dated in like two years (laughs) um because it's just so trying to be of its time cool of its time yeah yeah um like it begins with first of all it begins with a dated beyonce song yeah (laughs) which if i mean nitpicky yeah at this point it's like i've heard love on top and like a million other things which really this is also now one of my favorite beyonce songs that whole era of beyonce i wasn't a fan of that's like halo also right that came out of that same album i wasn't Uh, i don't know halo halo was before but was it i know yeah yeah the album before wasn't a fan of halo and i mean lemonade is her masterpiece oh yeah no Um, agreed and now that Beyonce has like risen past her own level, like we should not revisit those. <laughs> we should just stay at those Beyonce. I wonder levels. if anyway, Disney got a um, break on the music rights because you know she did a she did that movie with Disney that was a Disney Plus exclusive, Black is King. 
Oh, yeah, true. So maybe that's they got point. maybe that's why this was part of the contract being like you will put a Beyonce song in at least one film per month that released exclusively well, to Disney Plus. It could be that. It could be that. Beyonce was a smart choice, I guess, because this is this one is a blended family. Yes. And, you know, you want to set the tone off right and it's like, oh, well, you know, what black artist does a lot of white people know and it's Beyonce. Did you ever see um, that Saturday Night Live skit? Which yes, is, I love yeah, that. It's skit. such a good skit when Beyonce turned black, right? <laughs> like, yeah, when white people realized that Beyonce, Beyonce was black, black and they just skit. like lost their shit. But yeah, yeah, no, to your point, yes, one hundred percent. A lot of white people do enjoy uh, Beyonce. Yeah. Sorry, I don't make the generalizations. <laughs> everybody, no, we everybody all enjoys this. Beyonce yes. for the most part. Everybody, she's for all of us mm. guys. Um, they work that poor girl to the bone to not have everyone enjoy her. Yeah. So again, blended family. They kept the bakers thing, yeah, um, and then they they made it a little bit more literal this time, where they're bakers. <laughs> That's <laughs> they also true. Own a breakfast all day spot. <laughs> I didn't even realize that, um, but yeah, you're right. Like they're bakers. Yeah. Instead of doing the whole college football coach, they decided that they should give a more realistic job to their awkward male dad in this one, played by Zach Braff, who's Paul Baker. I don't. I know. think in the last one he was Tom, but um. I don't remember. Steve Martin, uh, um, but is is that a more realistic job? Because being a restaurateur and uh, having twelve children doesn't seem realistic. Not in twenty twenty two. Let me no tell you that it. much. Well, I was watching it and I was like, "How much is this being paid by her ex husband's money?" Good question. But then, but then when they moved to Calabasas based on like him getting some sort of promotion, it completely lost me in sense of, you know, feasibility. It wasn't a promotion, but again, it was an investment. An investment, right. Well, what kind of fucking investment did he get that that happened? I just like, but it was also like, why am I thinking too much about yeah, this? Yeah, like, this is a, a stupid that required movie. a lot of thought. But to your point, Gabrielle Union's character was married to a football ex-football player. Uh, and uh, she was kind of fast-tracking through this life. It was a semi-glamorous life. However, it became a lonely life for her, and that's the reason why she ended up divorcing. So this is a mixed family in the sense that, like, it's very Brady Bunchish. I think they both came in with, like, at least three or four children, and then together they conceived, like, another four. Yes. And then um, there'll be, like, another one added into the mix to create the dozen. Yeah. They have 11 and then, yeah, there's, there's one to make it a dozen. And then there's also an adopted child because when Zach Braff was with, um, his first wife played by Erica Christensen, a name we don't ever talk about anymore. I don't even, I knew she looked familiar, but I could not put a name to it. What is she? What what, what do I know her from? Well, her big thing, I remember she was in traffic when it came out. She was also in that movie swim fan. Oh, there we go. Say no more. I I know swim fan. (laughs) uh banger sisters right so like early again cheaper by the dozen era where it was like if you were watching like the movies made for teenagers she was gonna be like a big star and i guess you know she wasn't um i'm so sorry erica christensen if you're listening to this i still think you're a good actress uh anyway when they were together his best friend died and then you know he had to adopt his son right and and so that's one of the storylines, and that's Haresh Baker. Right. Um, so they have kids with multiple different identities, and this is one of the things that the film tries to tackle. And again, at least it, it plans things that it tries to at least uh, deliver on, and yet they fall flat on certain things. And my biggest complaint is, is the handling of um, 
Haresh in that way. I oh, would say. fair enough. I mean, I don't. I applaud the film for, you know, going out of its way to try to incorporate other identities. However, it did feel a little far-fetched. And also, it's just like, you already... This couple already had four kids, I think, or three kids at this point. So it's just like, do we... I don't know. I feel like at what point do Child Protective Services come in and be like, this is too much. (laughs) Stop. Yeah. You you know what I mean? I I don't know if I agree in the sense that I'm not going to applaud them for the... Because, especially in Haresh's case, don't throw a kid in there if you're not going to tell his story properly. That's what I say. It's like, I, it's fine. You tried, but, like, you didn't do anything with it. Like his No, you just threw him there as a prop. Yeah, like, your story, like, his main storyline as a character was, like, it, it, like, you know, his identity doesn't matter. So why? Exactly. Why bring and in this- that's problem this a element. problem for me yeah because i felt insulted for him and and for anyone who would look to this story and think oh maybe in any way right whether it's like i can identify with being uh like haresh mm-hmm. or i can identify with the fact that i'm an orphan and like i had to be brought into a foster family or something like that neither of those ways did did they ever divulge into his story right his story becomes more so befriending the 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 new Nephew? member yeah the, the cousin new member the the like the honorary family and like oh blood isn't necessarily thicker than water aspect mm-hmm. of the the story which is also like did we need to add that because you already established something here that you just completely ignore right yeah and and like he's just like this happy kid yeah. you know who's like great and doesn't have any fucking issues oh. or identity crisis what do you know? he's getting bullied because he's a nerd that, okay, that's that's different though. <laughs> that's like pretty like average problems. Whereas like, who the situation that that kid believes it, uh has found himself in, uh-huh. there's like stuff that he would be going through that they don't explore. That's true. I, yeah, I I agree. And with they you. explore every other person of color in that family's identity except his. Uh huh. That's a good point. I think and it's, it's so, fucked up. Yeah. I let's bring that up. So they put color is. Race is important in this in this film, which is a lot mm-hmm. in a in a way that a lot more than I thought Disney would ever really, I don't know, do. I guess like I don't know. It didn't feel. I don't know how to say. It. I'm saying this like it's just like I don't know. It felt like it. Felt, ugh, I hate to use the term, but it did feel woke. But it wasn't like I'm not saying it wasn't. I mean, it was a little preachy, but it wasn't like I don't know. It was a little organic in the way they kind of like approach these subjects. I think specifically for me, I think the moment <clears throat> that kind of struck a nerve. Uh, that I thought was kind of honest and sincere was when uh, the biological father gets into it with Zach Braff's character. And they say, it's like, just because you adopted them, like does not mean that, you know, the black experience. And I, I actually kind of agree with that because uh, I, I, you know, in my plans for adoptions and stuff, I think one of the things that you, I personally have to reckon with is like, am I ready to adopt, for example, a black child? It's not because I don't want a black child. It's because I, would feel so helpless in helping him navigate that black experience, right? Mm. Because the Latino experience is a very different one from the black experience. And it's just like, I don't know if I would be like the, obviously I try to be the best parent there, but like, you know what I mean? It's a hard thing to really, really grapple when you don't have that kind of experience. Right. So you can only you know, yeah. speak to it from like a theoretical point of view. So I think that kind that, that conversation felt sincere and honest. Uh, 
And I thought that's why, it, you know, it came off a little preachy, but I saw it at the same time, I think, like, yeah, but it's kind of a true thing, you know? Yes. I mean, like I said, they, they planted some stuff that they did kind of deliver on, but there was, there was, you could tell what they were comfortable talking about and what they weren't. And, um, or at least what they had, like, not like the hit, like what, what they knew that they could expand upon, right? What they could bring to the story and the things that they wanted to say. Mm-hmm. But then there were other things that they threw in there that they didn't expand upon. And then the Haresh thing is the biggest one. Um, I think that this whole storyline between the two fathers, because, you know, the other mother is there, but she's like made a joke out of. Yeah, she's like, like a nanny almost. Yeah. Was like had actually towards the end it really tried to make it more like dramatic and like there's like the, a reason to this antagonistic you know figure that he plays mm-hmm. but it doesn't start off that way and it's like hard to watch you know them go through this absurdist musical number in the school gym oh, and then take yeah, them seriously yeah, yeah. like less than an hour later uh-huh. so it's just like kind of interesting choices for the that development yes and um also i don't know like i don't really see what gabriel union would see in zach braff i mean like whatever zach braff i'm sure is like attractive in his own way he's but thin i just and he can wear like i think when you're that thin you can like pull maybe. off a lot of fashion well apparently he can fit into a 18 year old girl's uh-huh. jeans but um the dream <laughs> you know but it was also more so their chemistry i thought was kind of lacking um i just didn't i didn't feel it i agree with you I I, yeah. Yeah, I I don't think they had, I don't know, their chemistry wasn't, like, electrifying on screen. Yeah. And I don't know, like, it's just... Like, they were supposed to be, though, the anchors of the movie, and, mm-hmm. and when that isn't, like, you know... I, I, I didn't feel like I was in safe waters. Yeah. Um, I will say that what they tried to do with Deja is what they tried to do with the Tom Welling character in, in the 2002 film, but they did that at least better, because when Deja starts off, she's a different person from who she becomes or yeah. at least the struggles that she goes through. Yeah, she gets And I was like, oh, they got it right. Yeah. Yeah, she got, school. yeah. And was just becoming a fucking teenager. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, at least they improved that. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I will say that, um, I'm trying to think, De- you threw me off when you said Deja because now I'm thinking of Drag Race. Sorry. <laughs> I know, the moment that I found out that character's name was Deja, I'm like, oh my God, and she just won. <laughs> A challenge. Oh, I remember. Her brother. Like, I'm just thinking. Just so I actually think, uh-huh. I will give this movie this also. I think they did a good job of kind of like showing you scenes of the family interacting as a unit. Individually, like with each, with some of the kids individually. For example, uh, Zach Braff having to deal with uh, the nerdy kid. I'm sorry. I don't remember his name. I don't remember any of the kids' names. There's 12 of them. I can't. I can't even remember. Is it Dom? Maybe. Is that think, is yeah. that the other biological child of the other character? I think it's dumb. Okay. Yeah. Deja well, and dumb. Yeah, so he's like a nerd, right? And he doesn't know how to get the girl. So he asks his, you know, his stepfather for advice because he has more in common with the stepfather. He's kind of like awkward, gawky, weird. Uh, he can't approach his biological dad, who's like a superstar on the football field and like, you know, handsome and like athletic, right? And I thought that was sweet. I, I thought, you know, handled uh, uh, cute. I, I, you know, I like those kind of moments, you know, I felt like, you know, manufactured Disney shit, but it works for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I liked the Dom, you know, him like being true to who he was. And 
I, I these kids were a little bit more fleshed out uh-huh. than the 2003 one. Um, some, not all. The the added kid was the the nephew. Yeah, and I, um, th- that really didn't work for me. I we, I I agree with you. I don't think we needed it. I don't. It's just like why? I don't know. Cause he, for example, he starts off like stealing at first. Like right, he's like we see he's, he's stealing from the family diner. And uh, then he stops because, like, his father, his, you know, uncle gave him, like, a wad of cash that the state, turns out, is giving him because, you know, he, his mom is in rehab. I don't know how that worked out and stuff, but I don't know. It was just, like, did we need, because he's the one that, he's also the ending, right? He runs away, and the family has to come together to save him. Yeah, where the hell did he even go? You know, I thought it was like a crack den or something. Me too. I was like, but who lives there? Right. His mom's boyfriend, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say, because if that was his mom, Zach Braff's sister. Yeah. Like, like, well, she's in rehab, <laughs> just, though. So Way to help her. I guess, yeah, he just went back to his empty house or whatever. Yeah. But he said bye to um, someone, his crew, I think, or something. I don't know. It was yeah. it was not very well thought out, and also the he- was, and then the random characters at the end who are also like seeing this moment is just like what is this is yeah what is terrible. going on here this isn't this is funny not, this is not um, good. also it's like if you guys stick together throughout all like tough times then where's his mama <laughs> where's the support from this guy who could apparently afford a house in Calabasas yes oh I don't think they're in Calabasas, why is she so? living in a well. Yeah, no, they moved from L.A. to Calabasas. Oh, no, but he, but the kid wasn't from Calabasas. No, that's why I'm oh. saying her brother. Okay, so this woman who's addicted to crack and lives in, you know, a ghetto or we're, whatever. We're saying Her brother crack, lives in Calabasas. Yeah. We don't know. Um, you know, like, her brother can afford to help her out and get her back on her feet. I mean, come on, like, the whole message there is... You know, blood sometimes isn't thicker than water or whatever. Family's got your back no matter what. Uh-huh. And yet <laughs> she's just not getting any help from anybody. Well, we don't know. Other than like, we don't know pay, that pay rehab help. is not cheap. <laughs> like, no, I mean, that's not even me being funny. Like, rehab is not free. It really is not. So, yeah. uh, like, I don't, maybe, he, uh, who cares? We're getting into the weeds of this movie. And we, we are. Because that's also, like, when the movie has enough time for me to wander about these things and kind of hold it against the movie, the movie's not working. Right. No, I, I agree. I also thought that the Barbie dolls, as they referred to them, the two blonde ladies who are the investors, I thought they were going to introduce a little more conflict in like trying to seduce him. Oh. And yeah. like kind of introduce that element of conflict. I don't know if the movie needed it because it was a l- shockingly a lot happening, right? Like, we. Yeah. The main it's the longest of, yeah, film. The main source of tension here was the fact that he was, uh, that his restaurant recipe, because he created a sauce that is spicy, sweet, and savory all at the same time, depending on what you pair it with. I want to know what that magical sauce is. But uh, he found an investor who wants to then also franchise his restaurant. And uh, now he's just traveling, trying to find real estate for it. And it's kind of causing a division with the family because like, his wife thought that this was something that they built together. And now he's kind of like, you know, selling out a little and uh, mm-hmm. this is where the yeah. main and source of tension between the families. Yeah. So I think this is like out of the three films, this is the only one where like we actually see that the relationship isn't like all picture perfect. Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you can say that about the Bonnie Hunt and, and Steve Martin one, right? Like they weren't, we know that they weren't perfect people, but like their relationship wasn't like rocky at any point. 
True. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, he just kind of like took the whole her not being there burden on by himself, mm-hmm. whereas she was clearly struggling and needed him to get back yeah. to the house and like, you know, do his job as a parent of 11 children. Mm-hmm. Co-parent of 11 children. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and like that, that also shows like, you know, how, how much it is to handle. Like uh, one kid sne- is trying to sneak out and the other one got suspended from school and just like they're all going through shit yeah. and she can barely keep it together yeah and then um, the other thing but is- even then it didn't f- i don't know i'm sorry i just want maybe oh. it was her acting but i was also like this i i feel like she's just more than like more like comedically annoyed than like actually struggling i would agree with you um yeah i mean so it was i mean i feel like for me her best scenes were when she had to deal with the white woman with the microaggressions Mm, I think yeah. those were her stronger scenes, and obviously because like, I think they're just like you know, who doesn't like to see a white woman being microaggressive, right? And just really, I I enjoy those scenes because it's just like yeah, white people can be microaggressive, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Cheaper by the dozen. Thanks for showing us that. Thank you for showing <laughs> your young impressionable audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh I'll give this movie one shout out. Is the only movie to reference RuPaul, so props. True, true. Oh my gosh, I did feel like some of those like those kids being like funny in terms of like either Gen Z or millennial humor were also just not landing for me. Yeah, I don't disagree like, with you. I don't know. It was just it was it was kind of trying too hard and on some ways it worked and some ways it didn't. Um I don't think I'm a target audience. Yeah, so I think true. that there are things that, you know, maybe because it wasn't even meant for me or it wasn't something that I can 100% relate to that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like overly like criticize any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, but, but who is this movie for? Yeah, exactly. Like who, like, because we're, all right, here's, let's, let's put some things into perspective here. We're in the year 2022 of our Lord. And you're telling me that anyone in our age group wants to have 12 kids. Like this is a generation that right now is holding off on having kids for mostly financial reasons. Right. So I don't know. I think on some level, maybe this film felt for me a little tone deaf. It's just like, we are like in the middle of a fucking and Disney could not predict a war, obviously, but like, we're like in the pandemic, you know what I mean? It's just like, uh, and the the gap between the rich and the poor is the biggest we've seen since I think the 1920s, uh, which is ironically the one where the first film was trying to depict. Uh, so I don't know. It's just like it does feel a little tone deaf to show me a film about like a family trying to navigate 12 kids. It's just like that's a burden. Like I'm looking at that movie. I keep making I'm not I say this, but I'm not necessarily joking. It's just like this doesn't seem this seems terrible for these kids. Like there are no winners in this. Like you cannot tell me that like 12 kids living in one household is something that we should be looking at. Like, Oh my God, that's great. I love that. It's like, no, like that's not like not realistically for like these poor kids are probably impoverished in real life. If we were talking about, you know what I mean? And it's just like, it's kind of, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking maybe it's just the state of the economy where, or at least with my impression of the state of the, of the, uh, economy, and when I say the economy, I don't mean like necessarily like you know the market. I'm talking about like literally like how much people are making and like trying to like live off of by. Like it's just like this seems unrealistic, and it's just like not like why are we depicting this fantasy? Why? Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. 
And you know, it's interesting because both of these films kind of need to have either someone related to the family or one of the parents become like kind of famous in order for them to like plausibly live mm-hmm. the lifestyle that they live. Yep. You know, which wasn't something that the original film did. Mm-hmm. But I think also the original film had the benefit of telling a story from years before and not be like, we're making a social commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, that true. Because that's what these, the two Disney films try and do. And I think that like Disney needs to learn its fucking lesson at this point because we all see through Disney's bullshit at Wait, this point. I mean, we all... Disney didn't do the second one. That was time uh, 20th Century Fox. Okay. I'm just saying. I know you like your facts. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But at, at, particularly to the 2022. Absolutely. Film. For the like, 20, like Disney is responsible. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no. We all know what you fucking signed off on in Florida recently. We know oh, who's heading. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, like, you're trying to, like, pull this shit out of your ass and like pretend like and then but then it's also like you're absolutely right tone deaf is the right word because it's like no actually disney like you're not producing things that people not only want to see but you're not even saying anything Mm -hmm. right and you're just completely ignorant to what is actually going on in this country and what people are actually experiencing and it makes actually it makes me angry because i'm like it's Am I supposed to like want to live this life mm-hmm. or am I supposed to resonate with this? Because I don't want to live this life. I don't want to be as ignorant of these assholes. And didn't we just like cover something recently, which was like, oh, it's not cool to be rich anymore. Gotham? Batman? No. <laughs> um. I feel like that was like, I'm, I think I saw something where people actually like had anxieties about like not wanting to appear to be oh you know, too... fresh piece of bel-air that yes yes <laughs> that was, last that was literally last week um yeah but that's the thing like he's running for city council but he lives in a fucking mansion nobody can resonate with you dude yeah yeah nobody lives like that anymore we're all struggling out here Man. like who wants to fucking see this bullshit do you think like are we do you like this obviously we're just two um struggling hispanic in New Jersey, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like um, yeah. so this is just one really of the hardest point of view. But no, no, no. But I'm just saying, it's like, do you think that maybe we're just becoming angrier at like the portrayal of like these like kind of like nonsensical lives that like we would never relate to? You know what I mean? Oh, one hundred percent. Yes. Even yes. fresh. So Bel Air, I could take that as full fantasy, and I I can accept it as that. But you know, again, to your point, it's just like, but like. You know, if, if we had to like look at it with like real eyes, it's like tone deaf, absolutely tone deaf, absolutely. Um, and like Uncle Phil should not be running for local DA, not in with his lifestyle, because you know, Mm-mm. a person to live in a mansion like that and to be rich, yeah, usually have some skeletons in your closet, yeah, usually there's something shady. So you know, well, yeah, shady politicians that resonates. But I guess I the one thing I will say is that I like a balance. You know, I'll take a good fantasy of representation of lives if you actually give me something that I can look at and identify as real and valid. Mm-hmm. And the amount of shit that we cover on this podcast that is the opposite of real and valid is definitely, I think, taking a toll on us. Yeah. Um. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would love. If if we didn't do it, maybe a listener <laughs> out there somewhere <laughs> took a statistic of the amount of times that we, you know, were left kind of more jaded and unhappy with something than we're left happy. Because I think it would the statistics would show if we were to kind of like to go back and see that 
more than often we probably are disappointed right Mm -hmm. and we're more often like criticizing these things from because we also feel like we're trying to be targeted here and they're tar- the things that they're trying to target within us is not working for us. Right. Right. We are, they're trying to start a conversation and a dialogue with us and we're saying, fuck you. You don't know me. Um, and I definitely think that as that's also why, you know, Rolando and I saw each other over the weekend. He said that he's kind of over movies. I actually also think that that's maybe why you're over movies. Mm, maybe is especially from doing this for so long and just having to, to watch things that were almost trying to like, I would, after watching so many of these movies, sometimes I downright even try and feel like people are trying to manipulate me. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. Don't lie to me. Don't manipulate me. Well, you know? I, this is why I was told as a young kid is like, the reason critics give such, so many bad reviews is because they see so much stuff and they become so jaded so quickly. And like, here we are three years in, it's just like, oh, I see it now. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to reach our fourth anniversary soon. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you believe? <laughs> yeah. Hip, hip, hooray. Um, but... I don't know. Do you have anything else to say? Yeah. Do you think this movie was needed? I think we know. No. Yeah. Neither do I. There we go. Short and sweet, guys. Let's not even get into it. The whole episode was the reason why it was. Uh huh. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, have you guys seen Cheaper by the Dozen? The original one, the nineteen, the two thousand two, two thousand twelve, three, two thousand three, two thousand three version, or the twenty twenty two. Let us know. Hit us up on Instagram. Our handle is Remakes Reboots Revivals. You can also find us on Facebook.com slash Remakes Reboots Revivals. You can also listen to previous episodes there. And, uh, yeah, send us an email, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, our email is Remakes Reboots Revivals at gmail.com. And be sure to visit our website where we have all the episodes that you can't find on your podcast app. That's www.remakesrebootsrevivals.com. We also have a hotline for you. Nicole, take it away. That number is 862-248-2326. One more time. 862-248-2326. Yes. Leave us a voicemail. We want to hear from y'all. And also, you know, leave us a voicemail leaving your ranking of the cheaper by the dozens. Mine is at the top 1950 and tied for last is the the... 21st century versions what about yours um it was 1950 then the 2022 and then the 2003 wow yeah i would i would probably agree with that one i mean too. you know like i'm not i mean i don't care i don't you know i don't think i cared for any of them to be honest right true yeah um, i mean when your favorite is the 1950 one that to me is a win right but i know that like it's not like you're going to be like, guys, you have to go see Cheaper by the Dozen of 1950. It was so good. Like, right. I know you're not going to exactly. be having that conversation. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, so. But if it's someone's cup of tea, then maybe, you know, maybe you can recommend it to your grandma. Okay. <laughs> Do that, guy. <well, <laughs> well, on that note, stay, stay unoriginal. unoriginal.